Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to an emergency coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can hear me on Fox Sports Radio. And yes, you will be able to read me soon. If nowhere else, uh, the memoir that I wrote with Blazers, former Blazers power forward, former, former Heat, Sacramento Kings power forward, Brian Grant, about his life and times and now his battle with young onset Parkinson's. That will be coming out in April. Look for it. Uh, you can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Uh, And as I said, it's an emergency pod because, as many of you well know, we had the first interesting event in the NBA occur this season, the trade of disgruntled guard James Harden uh, from the Houston Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets, the place that he wanted to be, that he first said that he wanted to be, James Harden got his way. And that's going to be the essence of this pod because the rest of it really is unformed. And I've certainly had enough opportunity to talk about what it means. Where does it put the Nets in the big equation? Should the Lakers be Uh, afraid? Should LeBron be concerned? But I want to get to something that I think is universal among everybody. Look, when when the trade first broke, I knew that it was time for an emergency pod. And then I, my duties on TV and radio, etc. had me in enough places. I thought, well, okay, what's the urgency? And great minds think alike and great minds also uh, nudge each other. Uh, so to Bailey, who I assume is an avid listener, uh, she's the first one to put it out there on Twitter that uh, she was looking forward to me getting on the mic and talking about this. Well, it inspired me to go with my first instinct and say, yes, yes, this is something that I do need to address. Now, stay with me here because, as I said, I'm going to talk about the universal 
disgruntlement, unhappiness that I'm hearing from every corner in response to this deal being made. Whether it's my colleagues on TV and radio, or it's fans, or it's executives in the NBA. If there's been a common refrain among all of them, it's that I just don't like that James got what he wanted by doing what he did. And what fascinates me about that universal reaction is that if we all feel that that's somehow wrong or unfair or shouldn't happen, why does it happen over and over and over again? I'm going to explain that in this podcast, why I believe that is. But in order to get there, I have to make a confession. I love sports. I suppose that really isn't a confession when you consider what I do and how long I've done it. But what I mean is I I love playing sports. I love competing. I love working out. I use an app called CardioCast when I'm on my spin bike. And the instructor said something just when I was on it last night about getting to that level of fitness where you enjoy exerting yourself. Now, I don't know how close I am to that now. I, I'm, I have moments. But although I've been playing sports since I was a kid, I distinctly remember having this Zen moment in college playing soccer at Dartmouth. Now, no matter what kind of shape you were in coming into preseason camp, by the third or fourth day of double sessions, everybody would wake up in the morning and hobble to the dining hall for breakfast. Your legs were just, you were stiff. You were sore first thing in the morning. And, you know, after after breakfast and by the time you got down to the field and warmed up and stretched and everything, you were good. And But this was every morning for basically the first week. And then it eventually went away. Now, the Zen moment I'm talking about came in the middle of a game at one point during the season. I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was was sometime at the end of the first half, or maybe it was even the middle of of the second half, and I was making yet another 30 or 40 yard sprint. And I had been running and moving, let's say it was the end of the first half, nonstop for nearly 45 minutes. And I was doing it with my mind entirely consumed by the game. Where I needed to be on the field, what I needed to do, the strategy that we were employing. And it had, it was not at all how I was going to get there or how I was feeling physically. It was this moment of realization that I was working really hard and yet I I didn't feel like I was exerting myself. It wasn't a concern or a consideration. My body did what I asked it to do without a second thought and I was asking it to do things that I had never asked it to do before. Not for that length, not at that level of exertion. And there was no argument. It's not like there is now when, you know, I have to convince myself that I have 
the energy to work out in the first place or I have to have that mental talk with myself to keep going or to push a little harder. I had tamed my physical being, if you will. Now, here's the real confession. I've always recognized that the inherent admiration we have as humans for physical ability. We worship at the altar of physical prowess or physical beauty. Uh, you know, people that have those are the gods walking among us. And uh, whether it was ego or whatever, I, I admired that and I wanted to have some of that. And I knew that people looked at me different and would talk to me differently if I was in shape. That's just the reality of it. Uh, I'm going to use the term coined long ago at the university level, probably back when collegiate athletes were more admired and respected than professionals. Yes, there was a time. Uh, and it's big man on campus. This to me is the big man on campus syndrome. So here's the divide for me is that while I love playing sports and I love what being physically fit does for me in a multitude of ways. My real intrigue with covering sports, with writing about sports, aren't the physical, the extraordinary physical accomplishments. I, I, I much more enjoy accomplishing whatever I can physically myself than watching somebody else do it. What fascinates me about sports is the human dynamic, is the interaction between people and what is needed in order to accomplish something greater than the individuals themselves. And this is what leads back to James Harden joining the Brooklyn Nets. Based on everything that I've learned about covering sports for some 25 years and examining what champions are made of, what championship teams are made of, I don't see how this possibly works. Because the motives, there obviously has to be a requisite amount of talent and knowledge and experience and mental toughness. There's, there's a lot of elements that go into it. A lot of elements which James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant have in abundance. But there's also motivation and the place in which athletes and coaches and organizations are in the arc of their evolution. And that's where this doesn't pass the smell test. The reason that the Warriors were successful the way they were was because Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson came up together and had never accomplished anything individually and were motivated. Were motivated at a time where the team and the organization itself was trying to lift itself up. And they happened to have a number of guys in Clay, Dre, and Steph who were willing to sublimate their egos, were willing to mold themselves in order to accomplish the greater good. Because 
they weren't getting anything as individuals. And I know it sounds a little over the top, but there was a certain higher calling there. The reason that the Toronto Raptors were as good as they were when Kawhi Leonard left was because, and why they're not nearly as good now, other than there's been plenty of changes. But one of the driving forces last year was that they wanted to prove collectively that Kawhi Leonard was a great player, maybe their best player. But he was far from the sole reason that they won a championship. As we have seen since, in terms of Kawhi going to the Clippers and having an amalgam of talent that was, you would reasonably argue, was as good or maybe even better talent-wise than what he had in Toronto, and yet was not able to accomplish the same thing. Why? Well, one, because they hadn't suffered the same way that the Toronto Raptors had for as long as they had. Now, you may say, wait a minute, the Clippers have been suffering forever. What are you talking about? Yes, they have, but not the particular nucleus that Kawhi Leonard joined. That's a relatively new group compared to the years of disappointment that Kyle Lowry, Norman Powell, and DeLon Wright had endured. And then if you add Serge Ibaka, who'd been there for a few years before they finally broke through and found the combination that worked. So there's none of that that's going on for the Brooklyn Nets. That's why in spite of all of the firepower that this gives them, it doesn't fit when it comes to those intangibles. KD already has a couple of championships. What's he looking for? He's looking for the opportunity to win a championship and be recognized as the driving force of that championship without question. He was at Golden State. Make no mistake about it. That's why he was finals MVP. But he was never going to get that recognition if he stayed at Golden State. That's why he left. That's what he was looking for. This reminds me when KD and Kyrie went to Brooklyn and Kyrie looking for the same thing. I want to be seen as the building block. He had been that in Cleveland. They didn't win. LeBron comes back. They win. But he wasn't really looked at as a building block. He was looked at as being fortunate that LeBron decided to come home. So he goes to Boston. And since they had won, and he was already a champion, he might have been perceived as leading them to a title and saw that the deck was set, much like LeBron set the deck in Cleveland for himself or in Miami or again in L.A. But he got hurt. So then they went on and had success without him. And then when he returned, the dynamic was different. We've had success without you. And yes, you have a ring, but this is kind of ours now. And so it didn't work. So he moved on to Brooklyn. Not all that long ago, Dwight Howard had the same idea. I'm going to go to Brooklyn and whatever I accomplish in Brooklyn, I will be the cornerstone. I will be recognized for taking them wherever they go. And that's a greater achievement than winning someplace else. 
some place where I'm joining forces with other stars. The addition of James Harden now screws up that whole narrative for KD and Kyrie. What is this but an admission that the KD-Kyrie combo was not going to be enough with what they had? Kyrie has been looking to be validated as a true superstar, as a true franchise player. Can he still accomplish that with KD and James Harden next to him? Where is he in the pecking order? I would say that most people would immediately put him third in line. And if not, then he's second. And that means James Harden is third in line. And being third in line is why James Harden left Oklahoma City in the first place. I know what the story that has been put out there by Bill Simmons being close friends with Daryl Morey, that Daryl Morey was the genius who discovered James Harden and pilfered him from Oklahoma City. Nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is, James Harden did not want to be the third star in Oklahoma City. And there was no way that he was not going to be that with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook already established there. Somebody was going to have to be moved. And the Oklahoma City Thunder were not going to move Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant. They wanted to keep James, but James didn't want to be there. This wasn't a matter of they didn't give him quite enough, the the salary wasn't big enough. Salary was big enough. The role and the platform weren't big enough. Don't forget, he was a sixth man in Oklahoma City. Largely because the team didn't quite function well enough with Russell, James, and KD. And for those who may believe, well, they should have given it a shot. Okay, well, you're about to see a very a simulation of that Oklahoma City team with James and KD and Kyrie in the role of Russell Westbrook. And I might even argue that Kyrie is a better all-around player than Russell Westbrook, certainly at this stage, but even at that point. But it was a matter of, if you do this, if you put these three together, if they had kept James Harden, their flexibility would have been gone. They would not have been able to retain a Serge Ibaka. They would not have been able to add or, that's it. I mean, in much the same way that you look at the Brooklyn Nets and you go, this is pretty much who they are, and now they're just going to have to fill out the rest of the roster the best they can. Same thing would have happened in Oklahoma City. This idea that if Harden had stayed in Oklahoma City, that, that all would have been different and they would have won championships simply flies in the face of what we know about what building championships is all about, which is for all of the talk about big threes and star power, yes, you have to have a certain requisite amount of star power. But you don't need as much as people think. As much as you need a versatile roster, deep, versatile talent that, most important, fits together. The Lakers demonstrated that 
just this past season. And I know it was a weird year, and but whether it was the Lakers winning it or our favorite before the shutdown and then going into the bubble, that being the Clippers, you were going to win with two primary stars in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George for the Clippers and Anthony Davis and LeBron James for the Lakers. And the only reason we saw both of those potentially winning it is because of how the two stars fit together. And this is perhaps what is most important, that those two stars in both instances were players who could affect the game in an extremely positive way at both ends of the floor. Now, I could actually see a way in which this Nets triumvirate works, but it would require sacrifice in a multitude of ways. Number one, and not in particular, any particular order, but because they're so lacking in defense, and because I've seen what Kevin Durant is capable of defensively, because of his size, his length, his mobility. If Kevin Durant were to take a page from Kobe Bryant's book when he went to the Redeem team, the Olympic team, and said, we have enough scorers. I'm not going to worry about scoring. As much as you guys think that I always need the ball and that's what I'm all about, I'm going to take care of us at the other end. Because I know you guys can handle the offense. I know we have enough of that. But I think I'm the only one who can do it defensively for us. And so he did. And so the team was successful. KD needs to do that with this Nets team. If he wants to win a championship this year, James Harden has to commit himself to being in condition to play at a faster tempo. Because that's the only way they're going to generate enough touches to keep everybody happy. And ultimately, I think that's the best way for them to play. He's going to have to abdicate the ball handling duties to Kyrie Irving because that's what Kyrie does best. They are all going to have to accept being better spot-up shooters and spacing the floor for each other. Moving That means moving without the ball. They all have the basketball IQ, and I believe the capability of doing that. But it's going to require a certain degree of sacrifice. I liken James Harden to Paul Pierce in Boston. Paul Pierce wasn't always in the greatest of shape. He got forced into it by Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett, who were at the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to their discipline and their fitness. Kyrie, in exchange for getting to handle the ball, is going to have to recognize that KD and James on most nights are going to have the biggest mismatch and to feed them accordingly. Are they all willing to make those sacrifices? Did they come into this thinking that way? Are they desperate? Are they desperate enough to make those sacrifices? It's not why originally KD came to Brooklyn. It's not why Kyrie came to Brooklyn. I'm not sure why James is going to Brooklyn other than he wanted out of Houston and he wanted to play with KD. He saw that as attractive. But as we know, players 
operating as GMs, no matter how great they are as players, it invariably does not work. I can go down the list of circumstances where players not only, superstar players not only said, I don't want to be here any longer, but they made it clear where they wanted to go and they end up getting what they wanted. Carmelo to the Knicks. How did that work out? Chris Paul to the Clippers. How did that work out? Dwight Howard to the Lakers after he gave up on Brooklyn. How did that work out? Chris Paul to the Rockets. This, by the way, underscores how amazing Chris Paul has been in that he has not only asked out of organizations, but dictated where he wanted to go and has not worn the scarlet letter the way that so many other players have. Kyrie Irving to the Celtics did not work out. Russ Westbrook to the Rockets did not work out. Paul George to the Clippers so far has not worked out. Anthony Davis to the Lakers. That's the only one where the player made it clear this is where I want to go, was was satisfied, and ultimately wound up with a championship. And I'm not even sure. I mean, I guess we, we came to a point now where it was happening with so many teams that somebody was going to prove it wrong. Either Kawhi and Paul George going to the Clippers or AD and LeBron going to the Lakers, since that was also a circumstance where both of them chose where they wanted to go. And both were, in one case, had to be traded, and the other star made the choice through free agency. It's taken me a minute to get to my original point, and what I said was the overarching theme of this podcast, which is why we find fault, why, why it hits us as being so wrong when an athlete uh, behaves badly and appears to be rewarded for it. Well, first of all, on the face of it, it's, in, it's natural. We don't like to see people breaking rules or being disloyal or half-assing it or seeming to be rewarded in a variety of ways and then to appear to be unappreciative of that and to still find fault with it. It seems very natural. Why, why that, why would, that would be distasteful to us. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And yet, and yet, we allow it to happen. Not with everyone, but with certain people. And you know those, who those people are. They're the big men on campus. We allow that bad behavior. If we criticize it, we also at some point forgive it. And I'll give you the same list of players who forced their way out 
and got what they wanted because they were dissatisfied with what they had give, been given. And this, this is doubles down because I, I believe that we look at these stars, all of whom I've mentioned, and we look at, well, just look at Kyrie and James and, and KD. They've all got the supremely multi-million dollar max contracts. They have the endorsements. They have the shoe deals. All of them have been very out front in displaying that they're living the good life and they're doing extraordinary things. They're enjoying extraordinary experiences, whether it's guest appearances on Billions or James Harden's Wild Fashions or Kyrie Irving and his expanding on theories of whatever. They've already been granted extraordinary license to live unfettered lives. So then when they have all that, and then on top of it, they appear to still be dissatisfied. That's hard for the average person to swallow. <laughs> and yet we do and we forgive them. And why is that? Because they're capable of extraordinary things. And this isn't just isolated. This isn't just uh, applicable to athletes. Robert Downey Jr. went down the drain in his personal life and affected his professional life. But he's an extraordinary actor and he has made extraordinary films. And when he finally got himself right and came out of it, uh, we, we applauded him as much as we ever had. We've seen this time and time again. LeBron James. I mean, people decrying what James Harden is doing. LeBron James quit on the Cleveland Cavaliers. We saw it. We saw it in the last playoff game that he played for them. We saw him rip off the jersey. We saw him left them dangling out there, uh, put them at, at a, a huge disadvantage. James Harden at least didn't do that with the Rockets. He told them well in advance he didn't want to be there anymore. LeBron didn't do that. He, he left them at the altar up until the very last second. I can tell you this firsthand. Until the very last, what, 20 minutes before the decision? Cavalier still thought that he was coming back to Cleveland. He did it again to Miami, left them holding the bag. And so, but yet we look at what LeBron has accomplished and those who don't like him are forever not going to like him. But there are plenty of people that have come around and are still appreciative of his accomplishments. I can go down the list of the players who have dictated where they were, dissatisfied where they were, dictated where they wanted to go, and were vilified at one point for it. Carmelo, isn't he a feel-good story in Portland right now? Don't the Trailblazers fans love him for who he's become? Chris Paul has been the best at being inconspicuous in getting or working his way out of franchises, but make no mistake, he has multiple times. And even if whatever the New Orleans fans felt about Chris when he went to the Clippers, or Clippers fans felt when he went 
to the Rockets. Or even Oklahoma City fans now that he's with the Suns. Fact of the matter is, we laud Chris Paul as a leader, as a franchise changer. Kawhi Leonard, when he forced his way out of San Antonio, was looked at as a bad guy until he won a ring in Toronto. Did the Clippers fans or the Toronto fans hold it against him? The way he behaved in getting out of San Antonio? No. It comes down to this. Whatever an athlete may do in terms of how he gets to a place, how he handles his business, if he ends up doing something extraordinary on the court, then he's going to be forgiven for the previous indiscretions. Look at Tiger Woods. Look at all that he did and the level of forgiveness. Why? Because... He demonstrated that he had a unique, one-of-a-kind talent. And this is where the league does it to itself. Because simply the veneer of being the big man on campus results in players, star players, being treated different by everyone. Media, owners, fans... If they do something, if they do something extraordinary for them, if they are an attraction, never mind the full accomplishment, winning a championship, if they just have that it factor, if it's, ooh, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, the number of people that want to be adjacent to that star power, that want to say they know that particular star or person, it is intoxicating. And there's, I guess there's a certain, I, I don't know what the value is. I mean, obviously there's a value. Look, I experienced it myself with Kobe Bryant. I was known to have a close relationship with him. In fact, it was one of the things that always mystified ESPN is why this redheaded white former soccer player could connect with black stars in the NBA. And, I mean, I suppose at least some of it had to do with the way I grew up, which was decidedly middle class, lower middle class. Most of my friends were black. Uh, I had more experiences, negative experiences, or as many negative experiences with white people as I did black people. I think one of the most, now that I look back on it, one of the most informative experiences that I ever had was playing basketball for played basketball in high school my senior year for a Jewish community team and me and a couple other um, players from the high school decided to do that because the team traveled now by this point I was more of a soccer player than a basketball player but still loved to play the game still was fairly good at it and like the idea of getting a chance to, to travel and play in tournaments around the country. This was before AAU really became what it is now. And one of my best friends, maybe my best friend, um, Black, joined me on that team. And we went to Dallas for a tournament. And we were staying with families while we were down there. And... Richard and I were supposed to be roommates. 
and suddenly the the order the rooming list was changed and we were separated and what i found out and what we found out in fairly short order was that the family that he and i were supposed to be with was had never had a black person in their house before and they were not about to start with this tournament with these kids from ohio so which was, was extraordinary to me. And this is a family that I ended up staying with. And in every other way, a normal, pleasant family. But they had a perception that to me was just extraordinarily, extraordinarily bafflingly wrong. And to think what it must have felt like for my friend to know that there are people out there that would not allow him in their home purely based on the color of his skin is something that, as I said, that happened to me early on in my life and has informed what I know about people and, and perhaps more than anything else, my empathy for anyone who is being judged purely by the color of their skin. It just seems like an abomination. So maybe that informs a little bit of, of why I've been able to forge the relationships that I have. I'd say the other part of it is that I'm not in awe of what they're capable of doing as basketball players. I'm far more interested in how well-rounded they are as people. And so their extraordinary basketball skill, and I guess this goes again from early on, being around people who were extremely gifted in one way or another, whether it was some of the people that I went to school with at Dartmouth or some of the musicians I've been around, and at the same time, knowing how flawed they were otherwise, that they had been blessed with this one particular gift and that it was almost a challenge to be able to be a normal person, to live a healthy, balanced life in spite of the fact that they were extraordinarily gifted in another way. I guess maybe that gets to the heart of it and why I've always felt that the problems that the NBA has when it comes to you know, star power and the way players behave is largely because they've allowed it and in some ways encouraged it by simply wanting to be close to that bright flame of talent and everything that it attracts, that they will accept behavior and actions that are not esteemable. And I've just never looked at it that way. If somebody is doing something wrong, Kobe Bryant, for the relationship that we had, or any actually any player that I've had uh, a relationship with, I'm going to call them on the stuff that I don't think that they're doing well. I'm going to tell them that. And if that risks our relationship, my thought has always been, then it's really not a relationship that I can count on anyway. If I can't tell you the truth, if I'm afraid to tell you the truth, then my truth, then 
I can never really trust this relationship. And I don't want to come off as holier than thou or whatever. It's just something ingrained in me that I think my parents gave me. And do I, do I make concessions? Sure. I think we all do. And maybe part of it too is, is because I've had my share of ups and downs in life and mistakes, grave mistakes made. I've had my issues and I've had to overcome them. So I know that they can be overcome. And if I'm going to forgive myself, then I certainly have to forgive others. But I don't have to accept that this is just the way it is, that this is behavior that should be condoned or rationalized. I did plenty of that in my own life. James Harden ultimately did what he did because there's no downside. Kyrie Irving is doing what he's doing because there's no downside. There's no repercussion as far as they see. And in the immediate future, they're right. They're not going to lose money. They're not going to suddenly be out of the league. They're not going to be looked at different, ultimately, if they accomplish what they hope to accomplish as players. It's not going to ruin their career. But for me, it's, it's, so it's not a matter of criticizing those moves. For me, it's admiring the Steph Currys and the Damian Lillards and the guys who stick it out. And in general, they stick it out because they also, let's face it, Damian Lillard knows that he has it good and he knows that he probably couldn't pull off what Kevin Durant is pulling off. Not in the same category. Steph, same thing goes for Steph. We're as Chris Rock said, we're as what well, we're as loyal as our options. I think that's a paraphrase of what he said. And to a certain degree, that's that's true. So where does that all where does that leave us? Well, it leaves me thinking that I shouldn't begrudge James Harden or Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving for getting what they have despite doing what they've done. Because ultimately, I'm judging strictly on the outside. I don't know. Well, I can sort of tell Kyrie Irving still isn't happy. Kevin Durant still doesn't look happy. We'll see if James Harden ultimately ends up being happy. You know who I see as being joyful, Damian Lillard for what he has. Joyful and grateful. Steph, joyful, grateful. Nobody can give that and nobody can take it away. That's what I'm going to try to keep in mind. All right, that does it for this emergency episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast Network. Please Rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to those of you who have. I want to keep that number clicking upward. It does matter in the big picture as far as the continued viability of this podcast. We will return to our usual programming schedule with a new podcast at the start of the week. And I do hope to get to either the Christian Woods suddenly uh, emerging 
as a top player and or Pascal Siakam and what has happened to him in Toronto. I promised that for a couple of podcasts and uh, hopefully, short of something else, once again, bubbling up, that's where we will go. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.